Hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Amy Adler's How I Hire. I'm thrilled, beyond thrilled, to have the inimitable Victor Ingalls of Lending Club on the, the podcast with me today. Hello, and thank you for joining. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate the warm introduction. Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, you are always top of mind to me when I think about what it means to bring people on, to bring new hires on uh, because of your extensive history um, in large global organizations and funky, fun startups. Um, so that means operating in a, a large corporate setting um, and, and getting into the, um, the culture uh, what it means to build a culture out of new hires when you're starting up a new organization um, apart from the headquarters. And I know we'll be talking about that. Yes, absolutely. It's something I've been super passionate about and um, Lending Clubs afforded me the opportunity to work on just that. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk more about that. For sure. For sure. But let's take a step back just for a second. Um, and I know I didn't ask you about this before. Um, as long as we have known one another. But certainly you must have had a first job somewhere in your history, whether it was when you were a kid or when you were in college or after. What do you remember about that first approach to a hiring, a hiring manager, um, if anything? Yeah, um, you know, all of us did have um, a first, first job, right? Um, you know, what I, what I remember, so my first job, um, was actually, um, detailing cars and, um, I went to get that job and this was years ago, um, as difficult as the world seems, believe it or not, the, the world was not a kind place. Um, I, I do have some physical challenges. So my first job I ever applied for, the gentleman told me he didn't think I could physically do it. Um, so I was determined um, in my first job to show this person that I was able to do that, um, of which I had a lot of success in car, deal, uh, car detailing. Um, and it was a very humbling experience um, and certainly was my first foray into you know, just getting a job, right? Certain certain hiring leaders are going to see maybe what you're physically or mentally capable of, and they will make determinations based on that. And it's all up to you. It's what you really do with it. What an interesting story. Um, I I didn't know that that was your first job, um, and it clearly has not a lot to do with with what you're doing now as a, sitting um, in the executive at the executive level. But what I'm hearing is that this person's um, interpretation of you um, hinged on his, his belief in you. Yeah. And you were going to change his belief based on your brand of excellence. Um, so this, this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this belief in people. Um, I can only imagine knowing you several years now that 
your belief in people yourself has a huge impact on your relationships with the people that you do ultimately hire. Um, I think people, I'm going to go out on a limb and say people are shaped by that. People are truly yeah. shaped by that. Yeah, and it's not just, um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about, obviously, this session, and I went back in my memory banks, and, you know, I've, I've, I've probably hired a few thousand people and, unfortunately, um, had to term many people right in my career but it it does come down to a lot of what you're talking about um amy at the end of the day you know you can look at a person's credentials you know you can interview the candidate but there is this juncture of risk right and it's this belief in a person and belief in their abilities um and actually a belief in the organization and you as a coach that the combination of those things, you can be successful, right? Meaning picking the right candidate in the right culture with the right amount of coaching, um, all of those things aligning, you can actually have a successful hire, right? Um, but it but it does take a combination of all of those. So then it must have been at the inception, at, at hire number one back in the day, that you had to put all these pieces in one place and think about what that was like. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking back at that, um, when I look at my first hire, uh, I definitely made mistakes. Um, you know, when, when people rise in their careers, typically, you know, you're going to get your first, let's call it exempt professional job, uh, really because of your technical abilities. And one of my first big, big hires, um, this was at American Express, um, was a business analyst. And this business analyst had all this technical acumen. And I was so attracted to that because I knew there were big goals ahead of me um, that the company wanted me to tackle um, just around uh, big re-engineering efforts, right? So I gravitated immediately towards this candidate. What I underplayed and um, what really I've learned over the years is that's only one part of the equation. The other part of the equation was what was this person's ability to lead? What was this person's ability to collaborate? What was this person's ability to really create um, uh, an inspiring message or a set of key tactics that somebody would want to follow this individual, right? So that was a bit of a lesson learned, um, you know, because I had to really, really work hard at that part of the equation. As a matter of fact, I probably worked twice as hard and I could have put more effort towards the technical side um, if I would have just balanced sort of that higher with having both all the technical abilities, um, so the aptitude, but then having you know, that degree of leadership that people would actually want to follow that individual. So how do you suss that out? How do you tell that somebody has, I mean, when you're interviewing somebody, when you're in the hiring process, you don't have a lot of data points. You don't have a lot of, um, a lot of opportunity to figure out, does this person yeah. have the leadership chops to make this work? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it, it's a it's a difficult task. I mean, it, at the end of the day, um, 
you know, you are rolling the dice a bit, right? But, you know, I do find um, a few things. One is, you know, when you think about today's environment, right? Today's environment for, you know, middle-level managers or C-suite managers, um, it used to be, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if somebody had really good style, they were a good salesman, it would be like that person would get the job, right? Or the opposite could be true. This person just had a ton of substance. Like they could just, you know, recite every metric and, you know, everything that they've ever done in their career and they would get the job. Um, in, in today's world, what I tend to look for, it, it, it actually has to be a balance of the two. There's got to be a ton of style points, especially at the levels that, you know, I'm now hiring. You know, when you look at hiring a VP, you know, this technical ability and, you know, obviously your, your style and substance, that's, that's almost table stakes. So then you start to get to the intangibles. And I like to really think about, you know, what kind of energy is this candidate bringing to the interview? Um, and the way I like to think about that is, you know, if, if, if they're bringing a low to medium level of energy to the interview, this is the interview. This is the person wanting the job. What's it going to be like once they get the job? So to me, that's a, that's an immediate litmus test for, you know, what a candidate's going to bring to the work environment, right? Because if they bring a high degree of energy, that's going to start to constitute what can be a culture carrier, right? That's going to then constitute this idea of what I talked about earlier, Amy, and that's this idea of followership, right? But believe it or not, and, and energy is a hard thing to put um, your finger on, but we've all experienced it, right? We've all experienced people that walk into a room and the energy automatically ignites, right? There's just something about their presence. There's something about their, their view, their optimism. And we've also, unfortunately, probably all experienced the opposite, right? Where you just are drained. Um, they're just, they're, there's energy vampires out there that are really demonstrative for the culture, right? So that's what you want to stay away from. And believe it or not, you know, at, at even at those high levels, you want to look for those things because those are intangibles that are much more difficult to teach. So the intangibles, things, so you know, of course, I, I'm a resume writer. So these things that you can't yeah. maybe learn from a piece of paper um, or from a LinkedIn profile or from somebody's recommendation. Well, maybe from someone's recommendation, somebody's referral. Um, yeah. Do you ever find a mismatch then between somebody's charisma and energy and what you see on paper? Um, are you surprised? Yeah, sometimes you, yeah, so once in a while you'll see that, you know, you'll see, you know, this, this litany of experience, um, and then the person comes in, and I'm more excited about their experience than they are, right? Or I congratulate them on, you know, the successful career they've had. And then there's sometimes just the opposite, right? So, you know, um, one of the values Lending Club has that I just love, and I think about this when I interview candidates all the time, is this idea of confidence with humility. And I just, the, all those words combined, 
I love it for several reasons, right? I love a fact when uh, a candidate comes in and they are confident because they're proud about what they've accomplished. Um, and certainly they have all the style and substance to back that up. But then also throughout that conversation, they're extremely humble. They, they don't talk about just themselves. They've talked about how they were able to help others succeed, how they were able to help a company or a project succeed. Um, because it isn't really truly all about yourself. Um, you're only part of a bigger journey that typically a company's on or a, you know, function that you lead. Um, and, and you happen to, you know, be steering the ship, if you will. Um, and that's a coveted opportunity. So I just love this idea of, you know, people that do come in, they're confident, but they have a, a decent humility to them as well. And I think this idea of humility, um, in, in a society today where it's, it's very much sort of focused on me and what I've done and let me show you. Sometimes I think that can get lost. So I, I tend to look for those attributes as an intangible when I interview candidates. I appreciate hearing that because um, we can only, on the resume writing side, can only take individuals so far and we can tell them that they have to show where their excitement is. We ha they have to show that they're interested in what's going on, that they want the role, that they want the next thing coming through. Um, but sometimes the, the documentation, shall we say, that follows them is, is a little more staid, um, a little more um, on the level, not as, as um, dynamic as obviously a human would be. And if you need to yeah. learn more about, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, it's interesting because it, it, it's sort of the, the two, they're not mutually exclusive, meaning in order to get an interview, you know, at my level, all of the, the great work that you uh, and Five Strengths does with candidates, that's, it's, it's not just something that you should think about or consider. It's absolutely a necessity, meaning this idea of table stakes, meaning people will not get to me unless their information looks really solid, right? Um, and that's both, again, back to this whole concept of both style and substance, right? So then assuming, obviously, you get a chance to interview at, at that next level, it is absolutely all about doing your homework and really knowing what the company's purpose is, um, figuring out do your values and do your passions align with that? If so, why do they? Um, and, you know, if people can really start to then center themselves on that, their interview and the way they're going to show is going to be so much different than some haphazard candidate that talks about, you know, well, what's your equity package and what's my salary? I mean, we're going to eventually get to that, but let's talk about the task at hand. Let's talk about why your candidacy and this company might be a good match, right? Let's get that covered first. But table stakes, no doubt about it, is making sure your information, both style and substance, looks good. And then you have, obviously, um, all of the, the backing and the storytelling to really match that, right? 
I appreciate hearing that. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate hearing that. Um, and and I, th I think what it means to me is that that table stakes, that minimum, shall we say, that um, gotta have, must have, um, there has to be some something else beyond the must have though that makes you want to look further, that makes you want to ask more questions or figure out what this person is like face to face. Um, and if that's something you see on their resume or something you see on their LinkedIn profile, something they might have posted, something on their social media, um, mm -hmm. that might have, yeah, that might inspire you on, on some level, but then getting a recommendation from a trusted colleague um, yeah. or somebody inside the organization or outside of it might give you a different perception. Yeah, I mean, I think a few things. I, I, I will say certainly as you go up in level, whether you're trying to um, search for a job and or in you know, the case of this scenario, I'm the hiring leader, this idea of a um, basically trusted uh, referral, if you will, right? Um, meaning this candidate's been referred to you by somebody you entrust. That goes a, a long, long way, right? And people always use this word networking and why is networking important? Well, for that reason alone, it's super important. Um, I'm hiring two candidates, VP roles now, and um, I have candidates that all I know them from is LinkedIn, and then I have a group of candidates that um, are from trusted referrals. And I will tell you, there's probably an unconscious bias that certainly I carry that that candidate from a trusted referral is going to have a little bit of an edge, right? Not not a total edge, but a, a little bit of an edge um, in that you can kind of go to a sounding board to say, well, what's this candidate made of, right? Like, how are they under pressure? Because, you know, when you typically interview, people are going to tell you what you what you absolutely um, want to hear. Uh, and going back to the first part of your question, you know, what things spark my interest? Not things that I want to hear. It's things I need to hear. Um, and things that I need to hear might be like, let me tell you about a challenging situation I have with my leader and how I handled it. Let me tell you about a challenging situation where I was the only one in isolation that had this idea and I was the one that truly believed in it and here's how I got people to collaborate around it, right? So it, it really is these candidates sharing things that you need to hear, things that, you know, maybe not as functional in your organization that they say, hey, I've heard and I feel like I have a strength and I can help in these areas, right? The other thing that interests me in candidates or spark my interest is, you know, especially as you get more mature in your career as a leader, you start realizing the best way to success, meaning the company's success, your success, whatever organization you're leading, is to hire people that actually complement and actually it in most cases have stronger skill sets in you, right? So, you know, I I consider myself a, a really good people leader. Um, I may not be as strong on the finance side. So these two candidates that I'm actually looking at, I want to make darn sure they're great on the finance side, right? Because 
that's going to round out not just my inabilities, but the team's overall abilities. So, you know, when, when you, when you look for things that spark your interest, um, it could be deficiencies. Certainly you have individually as a leader and you got to set your ego aside and say, this person's way better at this and they're going to be able to help not only me, but the enterprise in a big way because they have a greater strength than I possess in that. And that's not, that's, that's not a sign of weakness. That's in my mind, a sign of strength. That confidence matched with humility, I imagine. Yes, absolutely. Walking into a room and saying, hey, I'm awesome and better at this than you are is probably not a no. good way to start the conversation, but being recognized no. Um, no. for expertise is probably a, a, a worthwhile recommendation or, or, or yep. promulgating that expertise is a worthwhile recommendation to, to people out there who are thinking about um, interviewing for roles and for your peers in other industries and other um, kinds of organizations to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of yeah. hiring somebody who knows something more yeah. about this than you do. And sometimes it comes down to just, you know, and candidates will hate to probably hear this, but it comes down sometimes just to circumstances, right? Meaning, you know, when you're building a, you know, senior leadership team, it could come down to, you know, if, Four of, four of my VPs are all males. Um, I recognize after many years of leading others that you absolutely need gender diversity, right? Because it not only is the right thing to do, but it will lead to better outcomes, right? So sometimes as you're filling roles, uh, it's just a matter of circumstances of what kind of a team you already have comprised and then what other things you need to build, what other sort of muscles um, do you need to build around you? Um, and a lot of that just comes down to, you know, circumstances for, for different candidates. So the candidate's not going to know necessarily what they're walking into. and Exactly. And they can't really change who they are, how they showed up, what their education has been, what their experience has been. Um, but if the match is good, that must make um you know make your eyes open a little wider and uh, make you a little more um attentive to the fact that this person might be the right person yep yeah absolutely and there are there are times i mean i will tell you um you know it's not um all the time and not you know totally frequent but there are absolute times um in my career where you know, I know in the first 10 minutes that I absolutely want to hire this candidate. Um, and it's just, you know, it's one of those that their worldview is shaped in, in, in two areas. One is their history with something and two is their experience. And that just happens to align with the need and the circumstance. And you just, you, you just kind of know immediately, right? The same can be said back to that, you know, you get somebody that just has low energy and just doesn't seem excited about wanting to get a job. Um, you know, you can decide in five minutes. So, you know, this, this adage of first impressions matter, they do, they do in a big way. Um, so just, you know, as, as, as people go out and, uh, they're, they are interviewing, 
um, whether it be over the phone or face-to-face. -face. I mean, first impressions, they, they definitely do matter. Can they ever recover if they make a misstep? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I've um, had that happen several times where I've been not quite sure on a candidate. I've thought about it. I've had a candidate reach back out to me and just say, you know, I've thought more about this role and I really want this role and here's why. And it forced me to say, you know, maybe I, maybe I misjudged. Let me bring that candidate back in. Because a lot of times hiring leaders, you know, they say these things and I say it all the time. Very few people take advantage of it. You know, if you've got further questions, if there's things that, you know, I didn't get a chance to answer or things you want to add, you know, feel free to reach out to me. And I think people just take it as this kind of corporate speak, but the candidates that actually take the time, not just to write you a thank you note, but that may say, hey, I've thought more about this. Here's a 90-day plan. I'm like, wow, I may have misjudged this candidate and I want to take a further look, right? So absolutely, people can recover. Um, it's sort of, do you, do you sort of have that desire and do you have that want and passion for really that role and will you go the distance because trust me somebody in the pool is going to go the distance and that sometimes makes the difference that is so interesting to hear because of course on on my side of the table i'm always talking to to job seekers about the importance of following up and the importance of yeah. of course the basics thank you thanking the hiring executive for their time and that sort of thing but taking it to the next level um, and balancing, quite honestly, on their side, uh, putting out a, a good faith effort on, on whatever it might be, the 90-day plan or whatever it might um, be that they're writing about, and, and not putting so much out there that there's this sort of look of, of desperation and willingness to work for free. And I say that quite yeah. honestly. So there has to be this really good balance of enthusiasm and um, self-respect. Dare I yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this, this other concept, just around just kind of simple intellectual curiosity, right? You know, it's inevitable that a hiring leader will ask you, you know, any questions for me? And I will tell you, probably over half the candidates, I don't know if there's a handbook out there or what exists, but you know, a common question, what keeps you up at night? Like a lot of things keep me up at night, right? Like probably that that's such a softball uh, question. I had a candidate back to this intellectual curiosity. She said to me, and you want to talk about sparking my interest immediately. You know, I said, any questions for me after we had talked for probably about um, 45 minutes? She said, what are you most proud of? And what is the, the largest thing that worries you? And the worries you goes back to what keeps you up at night, but the fact that she started at a place of a positive notion, like what are you most proud of? It kind of made me sit up and think, wow, what, what am I most proud of? Like, um, and you know, then we started to get into dialogue like, over the last year, over the last 90 days, like what we're doing now. And that led to another 15 minute discussion. And then I finally got to, you know, here's what I'm worried about, but it just, 
somebody just taken a thoughtful moment to say, well, what are you most proud of, right? Um, what I just thought was a, a really interesting angle that a candidate that I can't recall asked me. Um, and as a, as a, I thought was a really good way to just engage in further dialogue versus the proverbial, and not that that's a bad question to the candidates out there, Amy, but the proverbial question of what keeps you up at night, like a lot of things, right? When you're running a big organization, there are a lot of things that keep you up at night, right? I, I can only imagine that there are a lot of things that keep you up at night. What I find really interesting about your story is that somebody throughout the whole conversation prior figured out a question that might make you tick um uh, yeah. to, to answer what make what makes you tick was really kind of what she was saying was if you tell me what you are proud of i will know something really interesting about where your head is with respect to this organization and that True. is yeah. a representation of that intellectual curiosity that you mentioned just a bit ago um, and it's not a stock question um, it's not a stock question yeah. that's going to elicit the same a handful of answers I imagine that are out there and doesn't make you have to show all your cards maybe when you're not ready and and you can say something that does put a smile on your face um, and apparently makes the conversation go 15 minutes over time which is kind of nice well it it, it changes it when you talk about what you're worried about that does come from a place of you know not negativity but certainly a place of concern right when you talk about something you're most proud of, that comes from this area of a positive notion, a, you know, a, a, a place of just a lot more optimism, right? Um, so it just, it, it changes the dynamic, I guess, of the conversation to a degree. And, and certainly I thought was such a good way to leave an interview because you're leaving on such a high note versus, well, what keeps me up at night? So that emotional connection is a, yeah. is a positive one. Yeah, so and that... it goes back, I keep high, heart, harping on this and I, I probably sound like a broken record, energy, right? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, like what kind of energy are you exuding in, in, in an interview? And it's not just verbal energy, like trust me, the other thing, especially face-to-face, -face, um, I forget what the statistic is, but um, I think it's, you know, over, half of communication is nonverbal, like you're exuding energy and people are taking sort of impressions every second that you're talking to an individual. So are you looking for sort of the obvious? I mean, beyond the energy that we've been talking about, eye contact and, and good body language, and is there something specific that, that you look for that sort of grates on you? I, I, I'm kind of curious now. Yeah, I mean, um, to a degree, yeah. I mean, I, 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 uh, I love when, you know, people as they, as they come in and they interview, um, this is, this is probably a little bit old school of me, but, you know, what, what is it like as we're having a conversation? Um, is the person animated? Um, are they a little bit more monotone? Um, do they answer just the question? Do they go into, you know, more detail? Certainly you gotta be cautious. Like, you know, I always tell people don't sort of get lost in the cornfield, if you will. 
um, or you kind of forgot what your point was. Um, so you just got to be cautious. But, you know, another thing like, and, and I know this is going to sound super traditional, but it's partially like a character and a character makeup after an interview, um, you know, typically if there's an assistant and in the roles I've had, there's an assistant that kind of sits, you know, in the same proxemics, I'll always watch to see if the candidate just simply both greets and actually more importantly, thanks that assistant. That tells me so much about a person's character, right? Because it wasn't me that set up the interview and they've been in contact with this person probably two or three times to get the time. So to me, it's like at every level, what's this person going to act and feel like? Um, so I watch for those little things. I appreciate hearing that. And that makes me want to ask something that I've been wondering, honestly, is do you ask your assistant afterwards? Absolutely. <laughs> that, that is, in my role, one of the most trusted confidants I have, period. The, the, the assistant, because, you know, they're, they're having phone conversations, trying to arrange. In, in this day and age, everybody has busy lives, right? And I totally appreciate candidates, you know, much like myself, um, and you and I have talked about this in the past, Amy, the most precious currency that most of us have is our time. And it's a very emotional thing for people. So they're dealing with that assistant um, probably, you know, four or five times before I'd even converse with them. So I absolutely ask, um, you know, my assistant what they think and, you know, what, what, what the person was like and those kind of things. So, uh, yes, with, without a doubt. Because it's almost become a, um, a stock story for us on the, on the job search teaching, coaching side to say everybody matters. Everything matters when you're engaging with an organization and the people in it, if you're thinking about your candidacy. Um, yeah. And, and some of it's yeah. like your story is anecdotal and some of it is, is, well, I hope common sense that it's, it's better to be kind to people than not. But what you're saying 100% corroborates everything that we we talk about that we believe is is right for people to do yeah um, so um and the little things do matter i had a candidate that this was a few years ago sent me a thank you note and we had been going back and forth trying to arrange um a time that we could meet and my admin was the one sort of making all the arrangements um she was going to be out on vacation and in the thank you note the candidate you know, not only thanked me for the time, but also said to my admin, hey, have a great time on your upcoming vacation. I was like, now that is a person of humility. That's a person of class, like, and a great attention to detail to remember that little moment. And that, that matters, right? That matters to people that you care enough just to, you know, type that one sentence that she's going on vacation and have a good time, right? It's very thoughtful, and it shows that somebody has a lot of emotional intelligence. I hired that person, by the way, not for that reason, but they were a great candidate. That's good to hear. That is good to hear. <laughs> um, but, okay, so at the very beginning of this conversation, you talked about 
hiring for I forget your term, but sort of technical acumen, technical yeah, expertise. Technical acumen, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and everything that you've been saying along the way is is hasn't been about that. Um, yeah. Regardless of the level, whether it's been one of your um, sort of right hand people or somebody in mm -hmm. a call center um, that you have ultimate sort of responsibility for, that can be mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of people. Um, none of it was, can you do this thing well? Do you do this thing properly? I mean, I'm sure there's part of it. I mean, you talked about the finance, the finance um, yeah. aspect of things and that sort of thing. But I'm hearing that these little things, these, um, these, these messages uh, of optimism and energy and kindness and emotional intelligence far mm -hmm. outweigh Tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like they far outweigh the can you do this thing that you learned in some school or some some other role? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, assuming that you come to the table with skills, right? Not that you're. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, back to my original point, like if you got to a few of this is just in context, right? So some of the candidates, most, not some, most of the candidates I'm interviewing are 10 plus years experience, right? So, you know, when you get your first exempt professional, I said earlier, you know, that usually happens because one, somebody, and for, for leaders out there, be that somebody, somebody just took an interest in you um, and an interest in you because you showed signs of greatness somewhere, right? Or signs of um, just uh, amazing ability. And that's really, being good at your craft, right? So if you're talking about something like a member center, you could be a person that, you know, does forecasting and you've developed the best forecasting model that saved the company a ton of money and somebody recognized like, wow, this person's really good at that. And that was this technical skill. But as you progress in your career, um, it's typically not the things you'll get hired for because Back to my earlier point, that becomes table stakes. Like, you know, when I look for people that are going to lead in, in our member center, I assume and, you know, I look at their history and experience and I assume like their their technical abilities are all up to snuff. I'll ask a few things around that, but that's sort of table stakes. And then, you know, as you get into the VP level, certainly the SVP level, it, it's really more about, well, how do you lead? And, you know, that comes down to, are you present? Are you caring? Are you inspiring? Are you rigorous? Are you more rigorous than caring? Do you know when to put those in the right order? Um, and that's this idea that I talked about earlier, like, do people really want to follow you, right? Um, and those are, you know, more, less, less around aptitude and more around sort of the attitude and the and the intangibles that you'll bring um not just to your role but to the culture uh because those are the those are the things that will carry a culture or if you don't have those um you know d destroy a culture it's interesting that you you raise the notion of culture just by the way because you and i yeah. have talked about lending clubs culture and i've experienced the the culture and and what a phenomenal familial feeling it was 
And that has to come from, well, from, from the highest levels, but to reinforce it through the right hires and, and yeah. feeling I was an outsider and I got this great opportunity to meet everybody there and, and have um, such a warm reception that that must've come from someplace. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I think it, it starts absolutely at the top. Um, we have, I think, tremendous values. Um, you know, I mentioned one of our values is, um, you know, confidence with humility. Um, I just, uh, again, I, I, I love that value because it says so much. Um, when I first interviewed, that was the, the first impression I had of our CEO, Scott Sanborn, um, was just that, like, this guy just knew his stuff. Um, and he was in a very difficult, uh, predicament, um, cause a lot of difficulties were happening at the company and he was trying to basically, uh, rebuild the team and just his candor and honesty. Um, it, it just exuded. And that was immediately one of the things that, that attracted me. Um, and one of the things quite honestly, that now, you know, that we're the, the part of the organization that I lead that we're out in Lehigh, part of what we're trying to replicate. Right. Um, and you know, uh, I think it's going to pay dividends because people do want to be what I will tell you this, this whole life, this whole idea of, I keep my work compartmentalized in this area and then, uh, you know, my personal life in this area. Um, what I've witnessed over the past 10 years, the companies that are getting really, really successful at nurturing and cultivating talent and getting the right hires are sort of blending the two, right? Not that there's got to be this, you know, perfect match, but that, that really blend the two and that people are not only proud of where they work, but they're excited to come to work. And, you know, you're doing things outside of work with people you do work with. And, you know, it's, it's become actually much different than years ago where it was sort of, you know, you kind of keep the two separated. Um, and that's a big part of what Lending Club tries and strives to do. Um, and, and I would argue is doing it fairly successfully as well. I can I can only imagine what the the long term culture of an organization like that feels like to the people that are invited to join it. Um, and it sounds like some of it is the influence and legacy of your CEO. And um, on a more local level, um, certainly in Lehigh, um, that's that's you. Um, you get yeah. to say this is what I want from this organization. I'm going to hire the people that are going to reflect this back and we're going to make this a very consistent positive culture and and what a legacy to leave um with um people's careers uh that that follow them this legacy that will follow them throughout um, yeah. especially as they, if, if they're hired at a an early stage because your organization has all different levels of, of players um given that it's a, a huge call center operation with, with multiple layers. Um, yeah. And I think the, the exciting thing is, you know, we, we started with service talent and, and obviously our member center, um, we're starting to hire now um, just because of the excitement we're feeling of the Utah talent. We're starting to hire um, 
you know, software developers, we've got compliance people, we certainly have finance people, but part of what attracted me to this role was exactly what you're describing, Amy, and that it's very, very infrequent in your career that you get a chance to basically write or rewrite the narrative. I've spent, you know, two, two plus decades in the service industry. Um, I think there's wonderful things, you know, the service industry does. You look at like call centers and then there's just travesties, you know, this sort of big brother and we're going to watch every metric and, you know, not investing in people's development, um, you know, and, and, and treating people like a number. I think you, you can, you could fall into that trap and or you can rewrite the narrative. And that's what I feel like this opportunity has given us. It's like given us this opportunity to, for me, not only to hire the team that I absolutely, you know, want and is going to be inspiring, but then to build a team under them and to then build another team. Um, I'm watching people, you know, we started on this journey with zero employees here in Lehigh. We started on this journey in February. So I hired my first employee. We just, um, we're, we're now in August. We just surpassed 400. Some of the original employees, because I, I was interviewing at entry level to get us started, some of those are now leading other teams. There's no, nothing, at least that I've experienced in my career, more fulfilling or more rewarding than watching others succeed um, in in what was just an idea, right? And now this idea has created a, a whole organization and is hopefully changing not only lives of our borrowers, but certainly lives of our employees. It's very rewarding. I can hear it in your voice. And if there is something that keeps you up at night, I hope that's it. I hope that it's yeah. the, the, the pride of ownership and the pride of contribution um, and the knowledge, it sounds like, that your instincts around hiring all of the people that you did were, were, were correct. Um, not knowing about every individual person um, and yep. everybody's individual path, but it sounds like the, the trajectory has been overwhelmingly positive and that has, that's got to feel good. Yeah, it has been overwhelming positive. And I, you know, you can't, I, I certainly would be remiss that we would never be able to accomplish um, even that first hire, the 400th, without super talented people around me. As a matter of fact, when I started to tackle this project, there was certainly a person that I knew at Lending Club that could help. She's our executive recruiter and heads up all of recruitment now. And, you know, it, it sort of goes back to what I said earlier. Surround yourself with people that are even better than you at skills. And this person, when it comes to recruitment, she is phenomenal. And so that was one of the first people I had, you know, right by my side. And, um, you know, more of the credit goes to her and her team than myself. And as a leader, you know, one of the things we can sometimes do is, is get in our own way. And what we really, in this case, needed to do and what we successfully did is just liberate their team. Just do what you do best and liberate them and, you know, success will follow. Well, I think I couldn't wrap this up any better than 
the way you just did. Um, that was inspiring and thoughtful and honors your team and honors your expertise and your culture and everything that, um, that brings this, um, that, that, that credits this organization for, for the culture that it has. Um, so perhaps on that note, um, I will say thank you. Um, you've offered us so much advice and thoughtful analysis around what it means to hire and what it means for you to specifically think about bringing individuals on your team and what you look for and why that process or how that process got to where it is now and how it's evolved over time. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. And, um, you know, obviously it goes without saying, I, I really appreciate and at this juncture of my career, I feel like, um, you know, it's, it's, an obligation to share some of um, what is my history and experience. Um, and for some, I hope it's helpful. Uh, but certainly, um, I appreciate you inviting me. And um, I'd be remiss without, you know, obviously thanking you. Um, I first came to you for uh, my own personal need. And, you know, I think, I don't know how long ago that was, Amy. I think it was seven, eight years ago. Um, like and we've, we've, uh, enjoyed a wonderful partnership and I've asked you to do things that, you know, maybe weren't in your wheelhouse that you successfully not only accomplished, but made such a difference in so many lives of our employees that were either impacted or job searching. Um, so on my behalf and certainly their behalf and, you know, just kind of being courageous and doing things outside of your comfort zone. I just, I certainly want to thank you for the partnership. I am so honored by that um, in a, such a real sense. Um, so truly, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs>